Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Chris Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today uh, on the podcast, we have a special guest speaker uh, named Jim Holland. I was out of town on June 17th, so we, we brought in a guest speaker. Uh, for those who've been at North Shore Vineyard for a while, this is probably Jim's third or fourth time to come teach, so he's kind of a regular scheduled summer guest, and he's doing a message uh, fitting for Father's Day called Lost and Found, The Father's Obsession. He's going to be looking at some passages about uh, the prodigal son, the lost coin, the lost sheep, and uh, how we can get a bit of the Father's heart for those who are estranged from them. So, good stuff here. We're going to go ahead and head on over to the talk. So thank you for listening, North Shore Vineyard Church. In Luke 15, if you have your Bible, pop it open to Luke 15. Um, I know Crispin will be listening to this to uh, check out what I did. So let me just say for his benefit, Crispin, everybody here brought their Bible today. Every single person. It's amazing. What a great church you have. You know, oh, okay, that was not really honest. Um, have you have you heard of the story that happened earlier this year about the cruise ship, the Costa Concordia? Yeah. This is the ship uh, that was off the coast of Italy, and they tried to do this cool little thing where they could pass close to the island. Everybody would be like, woo! And it was a kind of a, a regular thing that they did, and they got a little too close to the island, They hit this rock, took a big gash out of the side of the ship, and then it started to list, and then it sunk. So much for showing off, right? And so now, I I meant to have a picture, but I I failed in my endeavor to, to get a picture. But now the ship is basically sitting right off the coast at kind of a 90 degree angle, which is not optimum for sailing. All right, so just, to, just because I don't have a picture, play along with me. Everybody kind of do this. You're not doing I see people who are not doing this. All right, this is kind of what it would be like to be on that ship right now. Now, what happened was, as the ship started going down, uh, people were getting confused. They did not call abandoned ship. They waited, and they said, oh, it's just a, uh, it's an electrical problem. <laughs> then why are we leaning like this? And amazingly, the captain, who, uh, brilliant man apparently, uh, his name's Shinetto, he was one of the first people off the ship. I mean, he's like, uh, I'm getting out of here. He fell, he fell into the lifeboat. He, he fell into the lifeboat. <laughs> and he ended up on the land. Um, now, you know, the captain goes down with the ship, all, all that kind of business, out the window. So the Coast Guard shows up. Now, in this kind of situation, when there's an abandoned ship called, the Coast Guard is in charge. There's this fascinating recording and and transcript between the Coast Guard and the captain. And I just brought part of it. I left out the part where there was a lot of profanity. He says, uh, the Coast Guard says this. He says, you need to tell me, and, and I can't do it. First, he's Italian, so he's got this, like, you know, accent. Well, it's not his accent. It's Italian. And it's got all this passion in it. And uh, he says, you need to tell me if there are children, women, or people in need of assistance and tell me the exact number of each of those categories. Is that clear? Go on board. And the captain said, commander, please. And the Coast Guard guy said, no, please. (laughs) You now get up and go on board. They are telling me that on board there are still, and then the captain interrupted, and he said, I am here with the rescue boats. I am here. I'm not going anywhere. I am here. What are you doing, commander? So the commander said, I am here to coordinate the rescue. What are you coordinating? He says, go on board, coordinate the rescue from the ship. Are you refusing? No, I'm not refusing. Are you refusing to go aboard, Commander? Can you tell me the reason why you are not going? I am not going because the other lifeboat is stopped. (laughs) Swim to the ship or something. I I don't don't really know. 
He says, you go on board. It is an order. Don't, take any, don't make any more excuses. You have declared abandoned ship. Now I am in charge. Ooh. He says, you go on board. Is that clear? Do you hear me? Go and call me when you are aboard. My air rescue crew is there. Where are your rescuers? <laughs> he said, my, they are on the bow of the ship, which was actually kind of sideways. He said, there are already bodies. And the captain said, how many bodies are there? I don't know. I've heard of one. You are the one who's supposed to tell me how many bodies. He said, but you do realize it is dark, and it's dark here. We can't see anything. What do you think about the ship, ship that's half submerged in the water? And so it goes on, and at one point, the, uh, the Coast Guard guy is cursing at him, threatening him, and saying, I will find you. Like, after this is over. Now, this guy, this uh, commander, he, um, on January 13th, like I said, they, they were cruising. Ship hits a rock. Boom. Goes down. And Captain Shatino, he had already disembarked. I mean, he was like, I got my luggage. I got the towels that I stole. I'm gone. And he's off the ship. And he totally loses his mind. Now, this guy had spent his whole life on the sea, whole life on the ship. He had been trained to lead, and he'd been trained to be a commander in these kind of situations. And he left everybody and saved himself. This guy lost it. He lost who he was. He lost who he had been trained to be. He lost what he was supposed to do. He was utterly lost. I mean, here we have this man who, rather than saving the weakest, the most in trouble, he saved himself, and he was not who he was supposed to be. Have you ever felt like you have lost yourself? And, and I don't mean in the, uh, what we'll call the big L lost, the spiritually lost, the people like when I grew up in Mississippi who say, you're going to hell, not that kind of lost. You just need to get saved. You, you experienced that before? <laughs> I heard that a lot growing up. People say, he's just lost. He needs Jesus. Yes, it, yes he does. And you need to go to some kind of voice class. Okay. I, I'm from Mississippi. I can say that. So there's this whole concept of lostness. Ever since the fall of man, there's this, uh, this sense of lostness, this real sense of lostness. This spiritual sense of lostness, this physical sense of lostness, this uh, emotional sense of lostness. And Jesus tells us what his sole purpose is. And in doing so, he says what the heart of the Father is. Have you ever wondered, when it boils down to one sentence, what God is all about? Have you ever wondered that? Somebody play along and say, oh yeah, Jim, I'm glad you're here because I've wondered that my whole life. Okay. In Luke 19, it says this. I'm going to play with this all day because it's up in my ear. In Luke 19, it, it says this. Jesus is explaining some things, and he says, For the Son of Man came to find and restore what was lost. That simple. Lost. Not just to find, but Restore. You can be found and not be restored. Restoration is an ongoing process that leads to completeness. I, I spent a lot of years found, but I, I hadn't fully been restored, not in the way that, that God wants. You see, God loves the lost. And if you grew up in some churches, you would not believe that. You believe like, when they start acting right then God will love them. When they repent, when they start drinking that beer, when they stop it, when they stop drinking that beer, when they stop going to those R-rated movies, then God will love them. Until then, they are lost. That's not right. God loves them even before then. They are, we are, his obsession. Have you ever been anybody's obsession before? You ever had a stalker? Not that I know of. Oh, you'd know it if you had a... No, I mean, not. 
Have you ever been obsessed with something? You know, are you a Saints fan? You get obsessed. Who <laughs> did that? Ow. You get obsessed with the Saints. We can get obsessed. I get obsessed with all kinds of things. And to think that the singular obsession of the Father is lost things, is lost people. It's mind-boggling. He doesn't take a break. It's a 24-7 operation. He doesn't sleep. He is chasing down lostness everywhere. So as we get into uh, to Luke 15, just remember, there are many ways to be lost. You can be spiritually lost. The big L, I keep doing that, loser. No, we'll do it over here. The big L, lost and need Jesus. But there are lesser ways, and we'll get into that in, in a few minutes. Personally, I spent a lot of years in various fogs. I'd grown up in the church, but I didn't know God from anybody. So there was this fog. I was, I was lost in that sense. And then even after I had decided to follow Jesus, I still did not know God. I didn't have that relationship with him. And so I was still kind of lost. And then after I kind of woke up, there's bits and pieces that become, well, found, I guess, and revealed. I become a little more self-aware and I'm growing. I'm not as lost today as I was yesterday, but I'm not as found tomorrow as I, today as I will be tomorrow. And then that's scary to think 10 years from now where I might be. And so Luke 15 is one of my favorite parts of the Bible. It absolutely is. I'm not just saying that because I'm here and I'm talking about it. It's one of my favorite parts of the Bible because it's all about lostness, not lockness. That's where the, you know, the monster is. <laughs> lostness. Everybody say lostness. lostness. Thank you. That makes me feel like an idiot. Okay. So in Luke 15, we'll start off and here's what it says. It says the tax collectors and other no notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. He was even eating with them. And so these are the, this is the group of people that are there listening to Jesus. On the one hand, you have the tax collectors and sinners. Tax collectors are professional extortionists. They are, and they're Jewish. But they're so awful that when they go to synagogue, they will, the synagogue, they will not even take their money. Now, you know somebody's bad when the church won't take your money. You know what I'm saying? Along with them, you had sinners, people who were... It was a class of people, people who lived their own lives apart from God. Then on the other side, you had the Pharisees. Pharisees were fanatical about following the law. Their hardness wasn't necessarily into it, but it was a religious duty to follow the law. And if somebody else wasn't following it, they got ticked off. They were very religious. And religious people can always see other people's sins but be totally ignorant of their own. Anybody ever done that? I'm doing it right now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and then you had the teachers of the law who could explain everything, but they did not get it. It didn't change their heart. They still had a lostness going on inside of them. And so Jesus starts out telling these stories. He was the master storyteller. And you have probably heard these stories, if you've been in church, forever. You're like, oh, Jim's going to do the prodigal son. I've heard this a million times. Well, maybe you need to hear it again. And you'll figure out why later. You're going to repent for that, I, just, I swear. Okay. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over, the, over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed. Okay, here's what's going on. Now, you, we don't understand the sheep thing. All right, because we don't have sheep wandering around. Well, do you have sheep on the North Shore? Yes, yes. yes, yes. <laughs> so there's like sheep going down. 
We don't understand shepherds, but everybody at the time understood shepherds. A, a modern day uh, picture of someone who cares for their group of people might be what? A what? A pastor? What, what non-church uh, kind of person? Teacher? Counselor? What? Leader? Manager? What? Captain. No, no, no. Yeah. I was going to say Saints football coach, but then I started thinking, well, that's probably not the best. Uh... <sighs> so, so here's what's going on. This shepherd has these sheep. He watches them. He cares for them. He realizes one has wandered off. If he has this many sheep, this is a large herd. And the guy's probably got money. Now, normally, what would happen in this situation is he would pay little Bubba. I don't know what his name is. Habib. No, what would his name be? Uh, Bubba. uh, We'll go with Bubba. He pays little Bubba to go and get the sheep. See, he's responsible for the whole herd. Is a herd of sheep? Herd of sheep. Gaggle of sheep. Flock of sheep. Flock of sheep. He's responsible for this big group. So as we would think, I'm going to stay with this mass that I am in charge of, and I'm going to send one little person, Bubba, to go and find the little sheep. But he doesn't do that. He's like, you take care of these sheep. I am going to go find the lost one. That's backwards from the way it would normally be done. It says that this shepherd knows the sheep, loves the sheep, is invested in this sheep and is willing himself to go out and risk danger to find this one sheep. Now, if you don't know anything else about sheep, they are dumb. Sheep are dumb. And they will just wander. They're like eating and they're wandering, you know, and next thing, you know, they're in South Africa. They don't know how they got there. And... They're blind, half blind, they can't see. And they're defenseless. This is why they need a shepherd. I mean, have you ever been scared of a sheep? I mean, if you hear on the TV, oh, a group of lions and bears and alligators, well, maybe not alligators, because you'd want to go out and you know, hunt them, but lions and bears have escaped in your neighborhood. What do you do? You like run into an interior bathroom, shut the door, get in the fetal position. Oh, dear Lord, please save me from the lions. Nobody else would do that. Lions and bears? Oh, my. Get a gun. Yeah. But if, okay, but if you hear on the news, a large truck filled with sheep just crashed in your neighborhood, you're going to be like, hey, get your sister. We're going to go pet one. You're, you're just not afraid of sheep. I mean, they're awkward and they're dumb and they're kind of fluffy. You go up, which is like us. We're awkward. We're dumb. Some of us are fluffy. (laughs) And so this guy knows, if I leave this sheep out there, he is going to be on the food network very soon. (laughs) And so he goes out and he says, I I want to search. It is important for me to find him. So he finds the sheep and what does he do? He carries him. He doesn't take his stick poke him and say, dumb sheep. He picks him up and he carries him back to his house. He says, let's party. I mean, if you don't understand, if you don't understand the concept of God rejoicing, you don't understand God. Because the picture in all three of these are a God that rejoices when something that has been lost is found. Maybe rejoice isn't a word that we use too much anymore. What's a, what's a good word for rejoice? Celebrate? Touchdown. Touchdown. Partay. Wait, what? He spikes, he spikes the sheep. <laughs> and he's like, oh, dang, sheep's dead. Okay. And Jesus makes a point of letting us know that this sheep is important, and God rejoices. Now, who in this picture is the shepherd? Who 
Jesus in the story is the shepherd. The Bible says he's the good shepherd. Who are the sheep? Oh, y'all aren't dumb at all. Sometimes people just go, huh? Exactly. No, we are the sheep because we just wander off, and we wander off away from God. All right, well, then the second part of this whole story trilogy, it's like Star Wars, but better. Okay. Oh, I got no Star Wars reaction. Okay. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, I got to tell you, every time I've read this in my entire life, I've seen this woman as some kind of poor widow by herself. She had to sweep the floor, so she obviously lived in a dirty place. But I think I'm, I got, I've gotten the wrong picture. It doesn't say any of that. Her husband could be out chasing down sheep. We, we, we don't know what's going on with this woman. And it says, um, she loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call all her friends and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when every one sinner repents. Now, now this is a similar story. It's about lost and found, but here's what Jesus did. He said, okay, I'm going to make this relevant to women. This was unheard of at the time to make a woman the, uh, the center of a story, the heroine of a story. And he's like, I value women. And you know, women were, were typically, they followed Jesus more than men did. And, he, and so he's using the same kind of illustration of, of lost and found and rejoicing but he's trying to connect with, with women. And I think that's kind of profound. Because it's saying God will pursue women as much as men. How do you feel about that? Women are like, woo! The, the, you know, the guys are like, <laughs> And so God is in the business of finding and rejoicing. He's saying, this is what is going on. I am about doing everything possible to find this one little valuable thing because it's valuable. So then we get to the last part, which is the parable of the lost son. Now, I am sure that probably everybody in here has heard this, if not once, a thousand times. If you know the story backwards and forwards, raise your hand. <laughs> we will see. No, I'm kidding. Uh, this is one of the most famous stories probably in the entire world. Art has been based, has been done that is based on this. Literature, even Shakespeare stole, borrowed some of the, the ideas and characters uh, from this for some of his works. It is known all over the world. In fact, the word prodigal, prodigal son is used in newscast and sportscast and, you know, to define celebrities who found their way. And the word prodigal actually means extravagant. It doesn't mean found. It doesn't mean lost. It means extravagant. So just remember that as we get into the story. Okay. So to illustrate the point further, Jesus told the story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. And about the time this happened, his money ran out and a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him out in the field to feed pigs. And the young man became so hungry that he, even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. Ooh, I'm just saying. And no one gave him anything. And when he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his... You guys, 
Still with me? All right. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, or his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now is found. And so the party began. What kind of party do you think this was? I think it was kind of a mild barbecue. Oh, it was a big party. So meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. And we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now is found. You've heard that before, right? Well, there's some fascinating things that are going on here. I think Jesus is trying to, uh, to illustrate that we don't necessarily get. First off, wealth in that time was passed from generation to generation. You worked hard, you accrued wealth, lands, livestock, and then you passed that on to the next generation. And they, passed, they grew it, passed it on to the next generation. They then passed it on to the next generation. So this kid and his brother probably had wealth that wasn't just their father's, but that had been passed down for generations. And the way that it worked at the time, the oldest son in this instance, the oldest son would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The younger son would get one-third. Now, I'm the youngest son in my family. That just doesn't seem fair, does it? Does it? <laughs> but that's the way that it worked. And so this son went to his father and said, I want what is owed me. And because it's an inheritance, what happens for me to get an inheritance? Somebody has to die, right? And so he goes to his father and essentially says, my life would be considerably better if you were dead. Now, how would you feel if your kid came to you and said that? You'd be angry, you'd be hurt, you'd be devastated. He's saying, I wish you, my father, are dead. You are only good for what will help me. Ouch. And the father has all this love for him, obviously. And what does he get in return? He gets an ungrateful son. And so the, the son gets his money. He takes off. And he moves down like towards the French Quarter. He gets a place down there. And he's hanging out at... Well, I'll let you name the places. He's hanging out with pickpockets and loose women. Remember the signs? Beware pickpocket. Okay. That went nowhere. <laughs> so he's down there. He's partying every night. He's spending all of this money. And then there's their version of an economic downturn. There, there is a famine. And all of a sudden, everything he has isn't worth as much as it was. And his money runs out. He can't get any work. And so he goes, maybe he comes across the lake where the sheep are. He comes across the lake and he's looking for work. And the only thing he can find is feeding pigs. This is a Jewish guy. 
pigs are unclean. You cannot touch them. You can't be around them. You certainly can't touch their food. This was the most horrible, terrible position that he could ever be in from a spiritual background viewpoint. I mean, if you wanted to say, here's what I'm going to make you do as a Jew. You're going to hang out with pigs. There's nothing lower than that. And yet that's what he was doing. Now, his father was far off. And I don't know about you, but do you know what's going on with your distant relatives? Like, you hear stories, right? Did you hear about Uncle Joe? Fell in the bayou and got his arm bitten off? I don't know. You hear stories about your relatives, right? And, and you hear stories about friends who are far off. I mean, you know, this, this kid probably had a Facebook account. and You know, somebody said, did you see what Joe was doing on Facebook? He was with the pigs. Go be his friend and see what his status is. Eating pig pods today, not, not a great day. And so the, I imagine that the father had heard rumors about his wild living, about the prostitutes. His father had heard stories about him running out of money. And I imagine that he would walk out and every day look, expecting. Would, would you have done that? Or would you be, I would probably just be mad and say, don't come home because I'm like that, which is not good. But I think this father was looking. I think he was just constantly, if not every hour, just regularly looking out to see if his son would return. And so one day he's out there and he looks and he sees his son. He knows how he walks. He knows his body shape. He may be a little thinner now, but he recognizes him. This is where it gets kind of interesting. Men in the Middle East don't run. They don't run. It's undignified. Even today, they don't run. I don't either, really. Because it's really undignified. Um, But you have to imagine this guy. He's probably got his good robe on. And he sees him. And so what he probably has to hike up his robe like a little girl with her dress. So he's like, woo! And then, and then he's running. And he's probably screaming, hey, hey! As dick, undignified as somebody can be. Now this son is probably going, he's going to kill me. He's coming to hack my head off. Because in Old Testament law, if a son humiliated his father and disrespected him bad enough, he could be put to death. And that's what this kid was facing. He didn't know what was going to happen. He probably had his head down. And the father's just running at him. And it says that he ran up to him and embraced him. How many of you have ever seen Winnie the Pooh? This guy, I believe, went all Tigger on him and just (laughs) boom! And pounced him on the ground. And it said he kissed him, but if you understand uh, the Greek of it, he's kissing him repeatedly. And some of the men are like, ew. Because, you know, when dads kiss their son, they're like, stop that. Ew. But he's, he's doing this uh, embarrassing, uncool thing. And he's just kissing his son. And then look what happens. He said, get a robe for him. Now, if you remember from Genesis, Joseph got this robe from his father's beautiful robe. It's sort of a picture of that. He gets this robe and throws it over him. And he puts a ring on his finger. And this is like a a transaction. It's like a business deal. He's saying, you are back in the family. It's like the godfather or something. It's like, woo, here's this ring, kiss the ring. Now, he's, he's saying, you have rejoined the business. Now, this is a big deal because he basically squandered one-third of this family's assets. I mean, his dad liquidated everything. He cashed in his 401k. He sold all his, you know, Apple stock that he had gotten in 1984. You know, he wasted all of that. And the father's like, I don't care. Put a ring on him. You're back in. Then he says, get him some sandals. 
he was obviously barefoot. He, he probably sold his shoes or lost them or they, they were worn out. At the time, only slaves wore or went barefooted. Only slaves. And his father's saying, you are no longer a slave. You are no longer a servant. You are part of the household. You have shoes. They're those Air Jordans that everybody was flipping out over a couple of months ago. They're nice. The son was probably very, very dirty. Dirty from working with the pigs. He was dirty from uh, the, the road back home. He's probably dusty. The roads back then, animals traveled on them, so there's poop, and it was pee, and it was garbage. Can I say poop? Chris, Crispin? Crispin, I said poop. Okay. So, so he's been walking through that without shoes. He's probably just, his clothes are probably just worn off of him from just wear. And the father still threw that nice robe around him. And he accepted him. And he brought him into the family. This is what's cool. The father restored the son before the son could clean himself up to be good enough for the father to accept him. I mean, we always think, I've got to clean myself up. I have to start praying three hours a day before God will, you know, I have to stop everything. I have to stop drinking. I have to stop smoking. I have to start, stop cursing. I have to stop watching HBO. I, have to, I don't know what that means. You know, I have to clean myself up in order for God to be open to me. And here, Jesus saying, no, 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 you don't get it. You just come dirty and messed up. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to throw this robe. What in, uh, I, in Isaiah says, the robe of righteousness. I'm going to throw this over you. And when I do so, you are made clean and part of the family and your past is gone. The kid didn't even have time to say, forgive me. I'm sorry. He just asked for some job. Humiliated. And the dad's like, no, 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 no. Come on, part of the family. I love the picture of the father running down the road to him. Out of love. Now, how many of you had a father that you can just very easily see him because of his love running to you? Can anybody see that? Last night I was out walking in my neighborhood. Um, I was listening to podcasts. I was listening to music. And I'm walking. And my father was a general in the Air Force. He, he was distant and critical. And as I'm walking, I'm trying to imagine him yelling my name, running up to me in joy, and just grabbing me. And I'm walking along, and I'm trying to picture him up there doing that, and I can't. And I turn a corner, and I try to picture him doing that this way. And I walked for 30 minutes just trying to imagine my father doing that. And I, I, I really have a hard time. It, it doesn't seem natural. And a lot of us have a lostness because our biological earthly fathers, they did not represent the love of the father the way they should have. We don't understand the father running to us. I guarantee you this son, if he had thought back, he would realize his father would have run to him and probably ran to him all his life, but he was too self-centered, too selfish to notice it. If you are a father on this Father's Day, I want to challenge you. Chase your kids. Chase them down. Hug them. Kiss them. Don't embarrass them. That's just mean. It's funny. It's funny. But when they grow up, let them easily see God by the way that you loved them and that you did not withhold your affection from them. Okay, so moving on. Then we have the other son. If I say boo. Aw. So this guy lived in the father's house, did everything he was supposed to do. He was the good son. 
See, I was the bad son growing up. Anybody else the bad son? <laughs> like, woohoo, I was the bad son. No. So this guy was religious. He could point out other people's sin. He had lost part of his inheritance. I mean, he's still going to get the two-thirds, but because there's not going to be the growth of the whole investment, he's not going to get as much as he could have. And so he's a little bitter. Plus, you know, whenever he goes in town, you know, drives through the McDonald's, somebody's going, hey, how's your brother? And he's like, oh, crap. I just don't want to hear about him ever again. Everybody knows, and he's humiliated. So when, when he's there, he's like, I'm not going in. Not going to do it. These two brothers had more in common than we realized. They were both after what their father had, but, they neither, but neither one of them really loved the father. One of them wanted it now. One of them wanted it later. They were both using their father for how it would benefit them, but they didn't love him. Wow, that had to hurt as a father. Did you know that you can spend a lot of time in the father's house and still not know him? You can spend a lot of time in the father's house with the father's family and still be utterly lost. Think about that for a minute. I mean, maybe you've grown up in the Father's house and churches all your life. But I guarantee you, we still have aspects of ourselves that we're not aware of. That, that God wants to reveal to us. You want to hear a weird one? <laughs> Thank you, one person. Everybody's like, oh no, please stop. <laughs> My entire life, I, I have averaged about four or five hours of sleep a night. I just could not sleep. So I'd stay up late, get up early. Now, that worked really well when I was a youth pastor and when I was in my 20s. But I really spent most, uh, until about, what, five years ago, I spent most of my life living like that and was never as pleasant to get along with as I would like to be. And I, I went and they had did a sleep study and found out that I have sleep apnea, and I got one of these... Uh, CPAP sleep machine things that, you know, looks like an octopus on your face. It's like. <laughs> and so I started sleeping and I started sleeping normally at normal hours. And I would wake up and I would be like, huh, this is this is what restfulness is about. Well, um, last last week or something like that, my little CPAP machine died and I went for about five or six days without it. And I, all of a sudden I'm like, Wow. This is what, I, I was grumpy, I was angry, I was like, Mah. I was like, this is what I was like my whole life. How did I, how did I survive that? See, there's a, a lostness that I wasn't aware of, of how sleep deprivation affected me. But it did. Ask my wife, didn't it? <laughs> She's like, oh yeah, oh yeah. And I was totally unaware of it. And that was a bit of, of fog that was lifted from me. A bit of lostness that was taken away. And I've grown. And this is what being found is about. It's, it's about being reconnected with God. It's about getting all, once we're connected with him, getting all the little bits of, of garbage between us and him gone. I, and I'm not talking about sin. I'm talking about just, uh, or sin necessarily. I'm talking about attitudes. I'm talking about selfishness. I'm talking about not caring about other people. I'm talking about past hurts. I'm talking about physical limitations. Some, sometimes people are physically lost. They have some kind of injury or, or something like that that keeps them in a state of pain where they, they don't fully trust God or maybe emotional loss. Somebody's emotionally lost. They, maybe they're in grief and they just cannot get closer to God because of the grief of loss that they feel or the rejection that they feel. 
Sometimes it's psychological, and a lot of Christians have problems with psych, uh, psychology. I know a woman who uh, is about 30 years old and active in her church, faithful as she can be, but her life has been a disaster from the time she was young. Everything would get sideways in her life. Everything would fall apart. There would always be drama. There would always be... Uh, and she felt lost, and she had a hard time really trusting God because there was a, a problem. She was diagnosed at about 30 with bipolar disorder. And it started to explain a lot of her life and why she lived the way that she did and the mistakes that she made. And so she went to the small group that she was a part of, the small group of women, and she told them, she's like, I've been diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And, and she said everybody was like, oh. <laughs> and then they quit talking to her. And then, about a year later, she was diagnosed with breast cancer. And she went to her group and she said, I've been diagnosed with breast cancer. And she said they all gathered around her and prayed for her and made her a cake. (laughs) Hey, wait a minute. See, there's a lot of people who are lost, and I think God wants to find them. He uses us to find them. And so when you see somebody who's homeless, or you see somebody who obviously has mental issues, are, are you part of God's plan to find them? Do you care enough about them to find them? Are you like the older son who feels like you're better than them and you deserve better than them? What it boils down to is God is a searcher. He is obsessed with finding the lost, the big lost especially, but also the little lost, the people who are hurting, the people in Africa who don't have water people whose parents rejected them, people who don't have fathers. Do you know that like, right now, 40, I think it's 43% of children born in America do not have fathers in their life? That's horrible. And what is that going to do to them? That's going to create a lostness where they'll never understand the love of the father. They will have a, well, I guess like me, they will have a hard time ever seeing a father chasing them down to pounce on them and kiss them because of that. And so I think partly it's up to us to run people down, to pounce them, to show them God's love, not by preaching, but by living. I want to be like this father. I want to be like the woman who lost the coin. I want to be the shepherd who goes personally and finds people and picks them up. We know that God is the father to the fatherless. And if we're to be like him, who are we supposed to be fathers to? Not, not just your kids, but maybe there's, a, maybe there's a kid in your office where you work who's hurt and dying and didn't have a good father. And he needs somebody just to show him what a father's really like and break that lostness, that, that picture of his, his view of a father. We are found when we repent. I mean, we know that. We are found when we realize that God is relentlessly pursuing us, when we become aware that he is chasing us. Even after we've been found, he's still chasing us. Did you notice that the father ran after the, the lost son? But did you notice he also left the party to go out and get the good son? That's who God is. He will go after us. That, shows, that really shows us who this father is, and it shows us who God is. And so if nothing else, just remember on this Father's Day, it, God's heart is to seek and restore the lost. That he chases us down. He pounces on us. And he kisses us. He throws a robe on us. And a ring. And sandals. And there's nothing we can do to earn it. We can't get clean enough to to have it. 
That's who the Father is. Let me pray and uh, we'll be done. Abba, Father, Daddy, God, help me to see the picture of my Father running towards me so that I understand how you chase me down and scream my name and throw your arms around me, hike up your robe and look all awkward and not be ashamed. Let that picture soak into all of us, God. God, let us know that we are your obsession. And not just us, but the people we encounter every day have some form of lostness. They either don't know you, period, or they've wandered off like a sheep. Or maybe like the coin, someone was responsible for them and they were, they were misplaced. And so now they're lost. God, let us be a picture of what your heart is. Let us see the lost people and not be ashamed and not be proud and run to them and make them part of the family unconditionally. God, thank you for everybody here. Lord, uh, we ask that you bless Crispin and Dina while they are away. God, we know that being a pastor is one of the most stressful, hardest things that a person can do, caring for so many people. God, I ask that you would put people around them, put more people around them that genuinely care for them as they care for this flock. And have your way here, Father. Have your way in all things, and let us not be the stubborn religious son who thinks we have all the answers. In Jesus' name, amen.